as I was thinking about uh, where we're going today, I was thinking about one of the things that I've always felt about myself. I felt like growing up, one of my strengths was that I was a hard worker. I started working when I was in, in middle school. I got a paper route and I got up at 5.30 every morning for two years and did the paper route. And once in a while, my mom would, would drive me. Otherwise, I'm out on my own walking through the snow, uh, barefoot, uphill, both ways, something like that. Yeah, did that for a couple years. Uh, then in high school, I, I started working. I worked all the way through high school. So I worked my, you know, 25 hours a week. And, and that's how I kind of survived and uh, as well as working through, through high school. Then we got married and I continued. I felt like I was a hard worker. I think there was a time uh, where I was working three jobs at once because that's what you do to provide for your family. And, and so I always felt like one of my strengths was that I was a hard worker. And so when I got my first ministry job, I felt like this is one of the assets I bring to the ministry. I felt like I'm a hard worker and, and that's going to benefit the ministry. And it did. It was great. Uh, while we were uh, there in that first ministry, uh, we worked hard and it was great because there was a ton of growth around us. And we saw the ministry growing and people getting saved. We, we, saw, we saw hundreds of kids come to know Jesus and it was, it was awesome. And in that time, because there was growth in the ministry, it created one of those good problems, right? When there's growth in a ministry, then you need more people and more resources. And so I went to my, my boss and I said, hey, uh, this is where we are. The ministry's growing. There's more programs and, and th- we've got one person on staff. I need some help. I said, so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to be able to bring in this position and be able to help me out. And he said, all right, let me, let, let me run some numbers. And so he goes, get, runs the numbers, gets back to me a couple days later. And he says, you know what? The money just isn't there. So here's what I want you to do, Kevin. You've got all these new ministries happening, all these things happening. Kevin, you're going to continue to do what you're already doing, and you're going to work later, and you're going to work longer, and you're going to run more programs. And so he said, here's what you're, you know, I know you're already doing all of this, you're doing all this stuff, but now I want you to run programs every night until 9 o'clock at night. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know I have five kids at home that, that no longer get to put, put to bed by me because now I'm working later? And I, I, I remember going through this season, I remember thinking, this is so unfair. Like, here I am, I've, I've, I've worked my tail off. Like, I have given so much. And, and, and instead of giving me help, the expectation is, no, you've got more work to do. And I have to be honest, I felt violated. I felt wronged. I felt completely unappreciated. Because here I am giving all I can, and he's asking for more and more and more. And I don't know, uh, for me, I, have, I had this, this overwhelming force that came inside of me. That I have my right, and I actually have a duty that I need to set this straight. That I needed to demand my rights. That I needed to go into my boss's office and, and make sure that his words came back on his own head. To point out the flaw. And here you're expecting me to do all this work on my own. And I wanted to turn it around and put it back on him. Look what you, you know, look, look at all the faults that are wrong with you. Because I was right. And I had my rights. And I felt unappreciated, undervalued, and all those things. What about you? You ever been in a situation like that? You ever had a situation like that where somebody has, has mistreated you? Somebody has, has taken advantage of you. Somebody that you worked for lacked character in the way that they interacted with you and, 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 and the way that they operated. Have you ever worked for a jerk? 
Jason Webster, do not raise your hand right now. That's not going to work for you. Maybe, maybe you're a student and maybe you can think, man, I had a teacher. And they would test on the things that they never covered in class. You know, they just said, this is something that you should have known. Maybe, maybe you've got that parent or that spouse. And maybe no matter how hard you try, you're always going to find that you're at fault. You're always going to feel like you're just not good enough. And what do you do in that moment? What do you do when you work for that jerk? When you have that teacher, you have that, that, that parent, and you feel like, man, they don't value me. You have that overwhelming emotional force inside you. That when you're treated wrongly, when you be, get hurt by somebody else, what do we do? We become bitter. We become critical of them. We become slanderous of them. And we feel like, I have a right I have a duty, and it's my right to set this right, to fight back, to belittle them. You know why we do that? Because we're all rebels. Every one of us. We are rebels. We are sons and daughters of Adam, who was the original rebel. Am I right? In fact, our American identity, isn't it kind of built on being rebels? I mean, ask the British. Like, that's what, what would they say about us. We are built on being rebels. So with this in mind, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we've got an usher in the back, and I think he's got some, some Bibles. You slip your hand up. Um, or if you've got one of those smartphones, you can pull it up in your Bible app. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. We're in this section where Peter has been talking about who we are. He's been talking about our identity. And this is what he said about us. He said that you and I are a chosen people. Okay? This means that God picked us to be on his team. Do you understand that? As a Christian, God chose you and picked you to be on his team. Peter says we, as Christians, we are a holy people. We are unique. We belong to God. And Peter also said that we are a a royal people priesthood a royal priesthood that means that as a royal priesthood we have direct access to god we have direct access to the creator of all things the creator of the universe and we can boldly with confidence as the royal priesthood come to him at any point at any time and say god i could use your help here isn't that pretty great this is what god has done for us and as Peter has done in this book, what, each time he tells us, this is what God has done for you, he responds with, now this is how you're supposed to live in light of that reality. The cycle is it's just continual throughout the book. You've become, God's done, therefore, here's how you live. God's done this for you, God's made you a, a chosen people, a holy people, therefore, here's how you're supposed to live. And so this is the section we're in right now. He said, this is who you are. You are a chosen, holy people, a royal priesthood. Therefore, Jason showed us last week how, therefore, we're supposed to live amongst non-believers. How we're supposed to live amongst an antagonistic government. He said we're supposed to live honorably lives, to respect and honor those in authority. Not because they deserve it, but because God said it. And so today, we're going to take kind of this same idea about this, how are we to respond to God? 
And specifically, it's going to deal with how we live in the, in the marketplace, how we live and how we work, and how we have a boss who we may, we may not agree with. We may not think they understand what they're doing, but how do you live and work in that setting? Where maybe there's someone in authority over you, a teacher, a boss. Maybe you've got a relational conflict. How do you live in that kind of a setting? Specifically, we're going to see the context of, of slavery, uh, dealing with masters and, 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 and uh, their slaves. But again, that biblical principle is going to apply beyond that. It's going to apply to you and I in, in the workplace. So we call this message our strange calling. And with that, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I, uh, as I read through uh, our text. First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Follow along in your Bible. The words are also on our screen. And Peter writes and says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And that is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, we want to thank you for just this opportunity to open up your word. God, I thank you that we get to hear your word being taught today, not just a pastor's opinion on how to live, but God, your word is, is alive and living and God, I pray that you would use this today to speak to every one of us. God, help us to understand what it looks like for us to live in light of the fact that, God, you have chosen us. That you have called us to be sons and daughters of God. And God, if we're going to claim that salvation, that, God, this is how we're supposed to respond. God, help us to understand that today. Help us to apply this to our lives. Allow your spirit to rest on us today, Jesus. We love you and we plead for your presence with us now in your holy and precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So I think it's important for us to understand the context. Peter writes and he says, servants, and some of your Bible versions will say slaves in verse 18. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only the good and gentle, but also the unjust. And you begin to look and you say, well, well what, dealing with the topic of slaves, like how does that relate to us today? Like we don't really see that as a regular basis of our life and our culture around us. And initially, I think, uh, additionally, I think with us, uh, many of us being Americans, I think you look at this idea of slavery, and we have this idea of, of the slavery in the United States. And we need to understand that slavery in, in Bible times looked very different than it did in our culture in America. Our dealing with slavery was all racially based. It was, it was treating some people as less human than others. But in the Bible times, it looked different. In the Bible time is when your nation would go and conquer another nation, and they defeated that nation, those people would become your slaves. If you think about the story of Daniel uh, and his friends, 
We studied the book of Daniel a few months ago. Those, those uh, uh, the Babylon and, and Nebuchadnezzar, they came in and they captured Israel. And so all those, those people in Israel became slaves to, to some extent. And it's a little different than the way that we would look at slaves. In fact, commentators say that, that somewhere between 30 to 40 or upwards of 60% of the workforce was slaves. These were people who, who were the, the lower class is what it would be. You had the, the upper class and then you had the middle class and the lower class. These were the slaves. These were people who, who couldn't move on to somewhere elsewhere. Some of these people who were slaves in the Bible times, they, they were slaves by choice. They were called indentured servants. Basically, if they had a debt to be paid, they would say, you know what? Instead of, here's how I'll pay my debt off. I'll go and I'll be your slave for a certain amount of time and I'll, I'll get my debt paid off and you can have me do whatever you want. Now, this would have been the equivalent of possibly the poor or the homeless where they would go to you and say, hey, listen, if you put a roof over my head and food on my table, I will serve you in whatever capacity for this amount of time if you provide for me. So slavery looked a little different in, in, in that day than it did in our day. Still a brutal society. You still had uh, the ability to mistreat those slaves. They could be beaten. They didn't, the slaves didn't have unions. They hadn't come up with that yet. There was no lobbyists trying to fight for the rights of the slaves. To, but, but this is the context. They, uh, they were different than our idea of slavery. And again... What we're doing is we're, we're going to look at this story on, on slavery. Look at Peter talking about slaves and masters. And we want to take this as a biblical principle and say, how do we, how do we apply this to our modern application? Because I'm guessing most of you don't have any experience with slavery. But most of us do have that experience where when I begin to tell you the story, you can picture a boss. You can picture a teacher. You can picture someone in authority over you who's a jerk. Who's just a big, fat jerk. And that's what I want you to have this idea of, is, is to take this biblical principle of slaves submitting to a master and, and, and understand it in your context of you submitting to a jerk boss or a jerk teacher or whatever that context is for you. And what Peter is telling us is he's saying, submit to your boss. Submit to your boss. Now, when we use this word submit, like, we have all sorts of weird feelings that come up. Oh, what does that mean? Do I have to do everything they say to do? Submit does not mean to have just this blind submission where you do anything you're told to do. There's guidelines for submission, and we'll get to that in the next couple of weeks. But the core of what submission means, to submit means to serve someone else. To put somebody else's needs above your own. And this is what Paul is telling the slave, Peter, not Paul. This is what Peter is telling the slaves to do, is to submit, to put your master's interests above your own. And Peter says, don't do it because they deserve it. He said that in that verse, not only the good and the gentle masters, but also the unjust. See, one of the things I did when I was younger, I worked at McDonald's for a couple of years. I worked at Costco any of you ever work in the service industry? Okay. And you have that, you have that rule. Any of you know that rule? The customer is always right. Okay. The customer is also an idiot, right? Right. The customer is always right, but the customer can also be an idiot, right? In fact, I remember this time I was working at Costco and, and lady comes up and she's got, you know, the, the, the gallons of milk at Costco. She got two sets of those. And, and one of them had the date of, you know, I don't know, we'll just say it was, uh, August 
August 1st. And the other one had the date of July 28th. And she said, oh, I got the wrong milk. I wanted the two from the August 1st. She said, would you take that milk? And I'm like, you're talking about two days. Like, you're... And so she made me take that carton of milk all the way. If you've been to Costco, you know, it's not a small place. I had to run that carton of milk all the way to the other end of Costco, find the one that said August 1st, and run it back because she wanted two milks that said August 1st. And guess what? Do you get a thank you? Probably not. Is that person just kind of expected of you? Yeah, that's kind of the way it works. And what do, you, what do you do? You say, well, anything else I can do for you? And you smile and put us. That's what you do in customer service, right? You learn that when you're going to work. You learn how that's how you relate to people. You know, what, why did I do that? Why would I go and I'd run across Costco to grab this milk for this lady that really I didn't understand? I did it because my boss said so. I did it because my boss said, hey, if you want a paycheck, this is what you're going to do. And do you understand that when, when, when Peter writes and says, submit to your unjust, undeserving boss, do you understand the why for that? Do you understand the why you do it? You do it for a boss, for, for a paycheck. No, you do it because Jesus died for you. Because he freed you from the penalty of sin. This is why we submit to the boss, not just because we want a paycheck. We do it because God says to do it. This is what Jason talked about last week in verse 15. He says, this is the will of God, that you and I actually submit to our boss and do what they say, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if we think it's stupid and dumb and not fair. We do it because God said to do it. God says, you represent me. Because you represent me, this is what I've asked you to do. I've asked you to submit to that jerk. And I'll be honest, I kind of think about this myself, and I, man, that kind of sucks, doesn't it? I guess that's, that's hard. Like, like, like here I am, I, you know, you, you might put yourself in a situation, you work for a jerk, you work for somebody who isn't fair, and yet you still have to honor and respect and submit to them. Like, how, how do you do that? How, how do we actually do that? And here's, He continues in verse 19, and he says, For this is a gracious thing, when you are mindful of God, that one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And here's the key. He says, For this you have been called. This is why I call this our strange calling. Because here's Peter saying, this is what you're supposed to do. Submit to those unjust, undeserving masters. Submit to your jerk boss. Submit to that person. And he says, this is what you have been called to. See, our strange calling is that you and I have been called to be hurt for doing good. And to bear it without any bitterness or revenge. That is our strange calling. So different than the way our society lives. Because again, we're rebels. Like somebody mistreats us. We think, no, I've got my rights. No way are you going to mistreat me. I'm going I'm to get back at you. I'm going to push back. And here's God saying, no, this is your calling. Your calling looks different as a Christian. You're going to be hurt for doing good. You're going to do it without bitterness, without seeking revenge. Some of us, we're just so rebellious. We're not going to listen to anybody. I'm, uh, you're going to be your own boss. You're not going to listen to anybody. No one's going to tell you what to do. No one's going to tell you to submit to that boss, to respect them and honor them. 
You're your own boss. But you know what? You're never going to truly know God that way. Because the only way to know God is through surrender and submission. That's the only way you and I will ever know God. And some, we come into church and we act like we want to know God, but we're not actually willing to do what he says to do. The Almighty God, if we don't approach him in a spirit of surrender, of submission, then we don't really know him at all. And we can say we do, but unless there's that surrender and submission to him, there's no true knowledge of who he is. We need to understand this, that, that, that if you do right, I mean, Peter makes this clear, if you do right, you're, you're going to suffer. If you do right, you're going to get criticized. If you do right, things don't always get better in your life. If you do right, people are going to say hurtful things about you. If you do right, people aren't going to notice you. People aren't going to give you the appreciation that you feel like you deserve. That's what happens. Yeah, here's Peter still telling us to submit and honor that person who criticizes us, who doesn't appreciate us, who looks past us, who takes the glory for himself. Peter still tells us to submit and honor them. Here's what I know. Like if we were just to stop this message right here, like we'd have some good Bible knowledge. All right. Here's my strange calling. I'm going to be hurt for doing good. Okay, I got it. But the problem is we'd get to the car. You and I, we'd get to the car and we'd be like, yeah, but. Yeah, I understand that's what God's word says. Yeah, but my situation is just a little bit different. Like, isn't this what we do? Right? Let's just, I mean, can't we be honest? We're at church, right? Can't we just be honest a little bit? We all have the tendency to read certain Bible verses and think, man, that is so true for everybody else, but not me, because my situation is unique and different. Listen, your situation is not unique. If you flip, uh, look ahead to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he applies this, this submission, this strange calling to every one of us. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. By the contrary, bless for those, uh, for to this you were called. See, this strange calling for you and I to, to, to be hurt for doing good and not to respond in bitterness, not to respond in revenge, not to respond by saying hurtful things behind their back. This applies to every one of us in this room. If you trust Jesus, this is your strange calling, not to rebel, but to honor and to submit. And he continues and says, verse 21, for this you have been called, and here's why. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. See, why, why, do, we, why do we have to be hurt for doing right and then not retaliate? We do it because Jesus is our example. And Peter's going to look, uh, draw our attention to the book of Isaiah in verse 22. He says, he committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. Looking at Jesus, it says Jesus was completely innocent. Jesus did nothing wrong. And you, you ever feel like you're treated unfairly, like you're treated unjustly? Peter says, remember Jesus. 
No one faced more unfair, unjust anything other than Jesus. He's faced more than any of us can ever imagine. He says when he was reviled, when Jesus was reviled, he struck them dead. And poured down cursing. No, that's not what it says, actually. Wrong Bible. He says, verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him, our Heavenly Father, who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the tree or on the cross. He himself was bearing our sins on that cross. So when Jesus, when God is calling us to, to, to live this strange calling, to submit to that person that, that, that is a jerk and not to seek revenge, that, that jerk boss, that controlling parent, whatever it happens to be, the unbearing teacher, the guy that cuts you off, when Jesus is calling us to, to respect them and not seek revenge, he says, don't forget that Jesus... Jesus had no reason to face the abuse that he faced. Jesus had no reason to face the unfairness and the unjustness and and, and the beatings that came to him. He suffered. He never was bitter about it. He never sought revenge on those who hurt him. And he was only there because of your and my sin. The only reason that Jesus suffered was because your sin was put on him was because my sin was put on him. That is why he had to suffer unjustly. He suffered because of Kevin. He suffered because of Adam. He suffered because of you and every one of us in this room. Doesn't that change change things just a little bit? Says verse 24, finish it off. He says, he bore, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. that We might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you, were, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Little, I'm going to pause right here and just do a little bit of a rabbit trail. Because there's a statement in this, this text that um, can often be taken out of context. The statement says, by his wounds you have been healed. This is a text that often gets abused. Because people say this is, this is what that means. It means that when Jesus died on the cross, not only was every sin of yours paid for, but Jesus also broke every sin from Genesis chapter 3 because of Adam and Eve. And therefore, therefore, just as you can be forgiven of your sin if you take it, that Jesus' death means that you can be healed from any disease, from any sickness, from anything, if you just claim it for yourself. This is what somebody's going to say. By his wounds, you've been healed. The problem with with that is in this text, in this entire passage, Peter's not dealing with anything physical. He's not talking about anything physical. And when we read scripture and we look at the word of God, it has to be understood in context. You can't just take a verse and say, look at this pretty little verse. It means it has to be understood in what's happening all around it. And this is where you have to understand that... that, uh, uh, scripture interprets Scripture. It fits into a context. And the reason why this is an important rabbit trail for us to take is because sometime in your life, sometime somebody's going to be going through a difficult time, a hardship, a hard thing. And what happens is somebody's going to come along 
And they're going to slam you with this verse. And take it out of context and say, by his wounds, you are healed. And it's going to make a whole lot of sense because of the the hurt that you're feeling right then and right there. So I want to put just this little warning sign to you. Let me clarify, God absolutely heals. I've seen God do miraculous healings around me. It's been amazing. But to be honest, I've got more experience of me praying for a miracle and a miracle not ever happening. And it's not because of my faith. It's not because my faith was lacking. It's because we have a God who can, but doesn't always does. We have a God who can, but not a God who always does. We don't manipulate God to to answer and bend to our will. He chooses. He chooses. He's the sovereign God, not me. He's the one that chooses. And we're taught, we're taught to ask God boldly. We're, spo- we're supposed to pray and say, God, God, would you bring healing here? We're, we're, we're taught to call on the elders and the elders anoint with oil and pray for a miracle. But at the end of the day, it's God's sovereign choice. It's God's sovereign will. It's God who's in control. That's just the little rabbit trail. I don't want you to get sucked away by that. Because it can be overbearing to people. So back to our strange calling. Here you've got this, this, this big picture. Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people. Therefore, submit to your masters. Submit to your bosses. Submit to your parents. Submit to your teachers, even if they are cruel. Our strange calling is that we will be hurt for doing good. We're not to respond in bitterness or seek revenge. We're supposed to follow the example of Jesus. Think about your life. Your situation. What does this look like for you? What does this look like in your life? And in, in the place that you work, what does that look like? In your school, in your, in your family, in our church, what does this look like for us? You've got that person in authority, man, they're a jerk. That person in authority, you think they're stupid. You think you're smarter than they are. You know more. You know the right thing to do. They're just wrong and they're stupid and they waste your time and it's unfair. They treat other people better than you. Man, why should I obey and why should I honor that godless person? Like they're, they're, they're just a bad person. Like, Kevin, you don't understand how bad my boss is. Like, like, if you knew my boss, Kevin, you wouldn't tell me to submit and honor them. Like, literally, like, you meet the guy and you would feel the same way I do. Listen, I think the answer is still the same thing. Submit to them. Honor them. Why? Because Jesus asked us to do it. Jesus saved us from hell. He paid our, 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 our sin penalty. He adopted us into, our, into his family. And because of that, and that alone, we may not always understand why, but we understand the command, and we are to live in light of that. We're to respond to that. That's, that's, that's why Peter always starts and says, this is what God has done for you. Therefore, here's how you live. Because God has done this, this is what he's called us to do. Two stories you might, you might want to write down. You can read later this week that I hope you look like this is what it looks like in, in, in real life. You can look at the book of Daniel, a guy by the life of Daniel. You also look at the, the, uh, the, the life of Joseph, Genesis chapter 37. You see these two guys, Daniel and Joseph. 
These were men who served very godless masters. And they did their job so well that they kept getting promoted. You know what I found? Nobody promotes you if you've got an attitude. Nobody promotes you if you're bitter, always seeking revenge. Nobody promotes you when you don't work hard, you don't advance their cause. So here's Joseph and Daniel. They, they, they did their job so well, they kept getting promoted. And they served completely wicked and godless people. And here, here, here's the cool thing about those two stories. Is, is they did what God told them to do. They served those godless masters. And as they did, and as they kept ri- rising up through their organization, they earned the right to be listened to. Because at the end of the story, the end of the day, Joseph was speaking into the life of Pharaoh. David is speaking into King Nebuchadnezzar's life, guiding the, the, the country for where they're going. They were glorifying and bringing an awareness to God, to people who would never have known him. Why? Because they were submitting to the godless bosses in front of them. They honored them. They weren't bitter. They didn't seek revenge. They just worked hard and submitted And I hope you're thinking about your situation and thinking, what does this look like for me? At work, at home, at school. I don't know about you, but I start thinking about this. I'm like, man, this kind of sucks, right? Because I've got this rebel inside of me. This is is hard to to live out. Like somehow there's got to be a way that, that, that makes this easier because like I get this idea. Okay, I'm supposed to submit to the jerk, but man, this guy is such a bad guy. Like if you knew him, Listen, here's the cool thing. This is, this is hard because it's not just a simple rule, be, rule to be kept. This is a grace to be received. The only way that you and I can submit to this person is to have this grace come over us. To receive this grace and to embrace our calling. This is where our flourishing comes from. This is where you and I as Christians can begin to flourish in our workplaces, in our schools, in the places around us. See, how often, how often do you and I become consumed day and night with the justified anger that we have? Or that person violates us, that person hurts us, and in our heart, in our mind, we, we can justify every reason why we have the right to tell them off. We can justify in our heart every reason why we can be bitter to them and seek revenge and think all the ways I'm going to put this back in their face. And how many sleepless nights do we lose because we're in our bed filled with anger because this person mistreated me. It's a rather miserable existence. That's not flourishing. You see, there's a key to receiving this grace, to embracing our calling. It's in verse 19. We skimmed over it earlier. Verse 19, Peter writes and says, For this is a gracious thing. When we are mindful of God, one who endures while suffering unjustly. See, that grace comes. We have the ability to embrace this calling when we become conscious of God. When we become mindful of Him. Be mindful of God means that we, we think about Him. We include God into uh, the equation of our relationship. Where it's not just me and my boss, it's me and God and my boss. And we become mindful of God in that. 
This is where we look at God as a third party who is actually present in our life. And as we're going through life and we have this boss who mistreats us, we actually imagine, man, God's in this room with me right now. This is where we take God as serious as we take the offense that somebody committed against us. This is what it means for us to be mindful of God. In fact, Peter gives us even more than that. He says, I want you to be mindful of God, but what specifically about God? What what are we supposed to believe about God? What are we supposed to be mindful of? And here's what he says in verse 23. I skimmed over this one as well. He says, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, Jesus handed the situation over to God. He handed the entire situation, including himself, including those who were hurting him. He trusted it all into God's hands, knowing that God is the one who's going to settle the matter one day. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I talked about how I have some very strange views of heaven. When I get to heaven and I picture God bringing the DVDs of all the people who wronged me, and every time I let God deal with it, I picture the DVD of God getting even with them, of God bringing justice to them. Because vengeance is his, not mine. And if we let God do it, how much greater? How much greater? Romans 12 says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. See, this is a promise that you and I have got to to believe. Do you believe that? Do you believe and trust that God sees every wrong that's been done to you? Do you believe, do you trust that God knows every hurt that you've experienced? That God assesses every motive, every circumstance in your life with perfect accuracy? That Jesus, who is impeccably righteous, he will settle all accounts perfectly. Do you believe that? This is something we've got to believe. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. See, if you believe this, and if God is, is real to you, then when you work for that jerk, when you have that person that you don't feel is treating you justly or fairly, if you believe this, if God is real to you, then you can just hand that over to God. Say, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm giving you the situation. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And God, I'm going to let you make things right. Crazy thing is, Imagine, imagine what it would look like if we did this. Imagine what it would look like if each of us did this. Imagine your home. Imagine your workplace. Imagine your family. Imagine our church. Imagine our community. Where we would live with so much peace. Because no longer are we holding on to that ourselves. Holding on to the anger and the bitterness and that plan to seek revenge. But now we've given it over to God. And we would live with such a peace that nobody in the world would understand where our peace and our joy comes from. They, they'd wonder, man, what makes those people at Restoration Church so different? Like they have a joy and a peace and I'd be, I, I, I'd be flying off the hinges. And we know where it comes from. It comes from God. And sooner or later, those around us will know it as well. This is our strange calling. This is what God is calling us 
as a church and as a Christian and as people too. To be hurt for doing good, yet not seek bitterness and revenge. Just imagine what God could do in your life and mine if we took this calling and lived it out. Would you pray with me?